Minasan konnichiwa and welcome to the Board Game Dojo where we use science and history to learn more about board games and the people who play them. My name is Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today on what I think is going to be a great episode. I mean, like all of our episodes, but I think today's topic is especially interesting. Today, we're looking at a concept, a term, a name, really, that has evolved in just the past couple decades. It used to be linked with murder and negativity, but now it's so common that people around the world with no Japanese knowledge might even recognize the word, otaku. We will explore the albeit short history of otaku and answer the question, what is an otaku? Just a reminder before getting into it that we are on YouTube where you can watch reviews of games from East Asia, including Japan, and I'll leave a link to that and our Twitter and Instagram in the show description. And now to our story. Otaku by its original literal definition actually isn't a person. If using kanji, the Japanese writing language that uses Chinese characters, it actually just means your house. O is an honorific, and taku is house. But especially in certain areas of Japan, it could also be a very polite way of saying you, kind of like in English we might say sir or madam. It gives a little distance, very impersonal. And by the way, this is probably a good time to share this important Japanese language lesson. If you're learning some Japanese, whether it's for travel or hobby, you might learn in your textbook that you is anata. Please don't say this to people. It's really rude, especially young people. Japanese people tend to just use the name of the person, or if you don't know the name, sochira wa. Learn from my mistakes, people. Learn from my mistakes. Anyways, back to otaku. How this word went from meaning you to meaning a group of people is a bit debated, with multiple theories that could very well all be partly true. One theory by Eiji Otsuka is that it started in science fiction circles for books. It would be a way of starting a conversation between what was already branded a socially awkward group, a way of asking, hey, do you have this book? Or really, does your home have this book? But because otaku is so impersonal, it is still taking a safe distance from someone else. Another theory is that it made this transition due to fans of certain anime or anime studios hearing it in the anime and replicating it in real life. This is the theory that artist Murakami Takashi supports. And as he explains, the term was first adopted among small cliques of science fiction writers and illustrators, and especially the staff at Studio Nue, a pioneering producer of anime in the 1970s. According to Murakami, the founders of Studio Nue, who established the firm while still students at Tokyo's prestigious Keio University, often used the formal pronoun otaku, perhaps in a parodic manner, but perhaps out of a sense of refined elitism, in everyday conversation. This practice then spread to other intense anime and manga fans, and reached even larger audiences when one of the characters, Hikaru Ichijo, in the studio's popular 1982 animated series, Chojiku Yosai Makurosu, or in English, Super Dimension Fortress Makuros, invariably used otaku over more casual forms of you. And it wasn't just fans of Studio Nue. Fans of Studio Gainax would also hear it in their shorts, because the founders of the studio came from Totori Prefecture, in which otaku was used quite frequently. The final theory has to do with science fiction author Motoko Arai, who used the pronoun in a popular 1981 essay in Variety magazine, but also used it in her books. No matter the theory, you can see that the one common thread here is science fiction, the earliest of what we would call otaku culture. Now, these theories range from otaku starting to get used as a pronoun in this specific group from the 60s to the early 80s, but one thing is agreed upon for sure. 
why it started to be used in popular culture, and the stereotypes included in it. That's thanks to Akio Nakamori. Akio Nakamori was a columnist and humorist for the manga magazine Manga Buriko. Buriko is a term used for girls that act really innocent and very cutesy. Nowadays, it's like this very annoying thing. This manga magazine had a lot of lolicon and hentai, which made it decently popular with otaku. Although lasting only three years, the lasting impact was the Otaku Research Series by Akio Nakamori, which talked about the characteristics of otaku he saw at manga conventions. I'm going to read you an excerpt from this, which was translated by Matt Alt. How can I put this? They're like those kids, every class has one, who never got enough exercise, who spent recess holed up in the classroom, lurking in the shadows, obsessing over a shogi, or Japanese chess, board, or whatever. That's them. Rumpled long hair parted on one side or a classic kitty bowl cut look. Smartly clad in shirts and slacks, their mothers bought off the all 1,000 yen, which is like $8, rack at Ito Yokado or Seiyu, which is discount retailers in Japan. Their feet shod in knockoffs of the R-branded Regal sneakers that were popular several seasons ago. Their shoulder bags bulging and sagging, you know them. Come to think of it, manga freaks and comic hit are only the start of it. There's those guys who camp out before the opening day of anime movies, dudes who nearly get themselves run over trying to capture photos of the blue train as it comes down the tracks. Guys with every back issue of science fiction magazine and the Hayakawa science fiction novels lining their bookshelves. Science fair types with coke bottle glasses who station themselves at the local computer shop. Guys who get up early to secure space in line for idol singer and actress autograph sessions. Boys who spent their childhoods going to the best cram schools but turn into timid, fish-eyed losers. Guys who won't shut up when the topic of audio gear comes around. These people are normally called maniacs or fanatics, or at best, nekurazoku, the gloomy tribe. But none of these terms really hit the mark. For whatever reason, it seems like a single umbrella term that covers these people, or the general phenomenon, hasn't been formally established. So we've decided to designate them as the otaku. And that's what we'll be calling them from now on. Yeesh. And that wasn't even the worst of it, trust me. He has some real rough words that I can't say on a family show about appearance and guys who are infatuated with the Lolita characters. But it captured the essence of what people had in their minds as these social outcasts. But why did otakus go to such length to be outcasts? Why not just be involved in society and have a hobby? And that's what historians have been trying to figure out. And some arguments are pretty persuasive, especially ones in which otaku as a whole might have just been a sort of counterculture. You see, Japan schools rely heavily on route memorization, and classes are very one way. Trust me on that. As a former teacher in Japan, we were told to just teach what was going to be on the college entrance exam. Nothing else. They would memorize it. It was very unidirectional. The kids would get fragments of information that they would need to memorize before moving on to the next fragment of information. You might have also read about how nice people in Japan are, and that's true. People clean up after themselves at sporting events. They buy souvenirs for coworkers. Trains are punctual, and if they aren't, you get a sorry ticket to give to your boss and or teacher from the train company. These are ingrained in Japanese culture. They are social norms. Families have them too, and especially in the 80s, they were reminiscent of old Confucian values. Some historians believe that otaku culture was in direct confrontation with these things. The defiance of conformity, individualization over the Japanese collectivism, an obsession of knowing everything about a subject instead of only fragments of a bunch of different things. You want me to be social? Fine, I will be a shut-in and play video games with just myself. But this idea begs the question, well, 
wait a second, don't otaku go to manga conventions? I mean, Akio Nakamori wrote his essays about people he saw at anime and manga conventions. Yes, but this is where cultural psychologists and sociologists have stepped in, speaking about how the specific interactions otakus were having. It wasn't that they were building communities with people at this point. Everything was impersonal. Sure, you might have clubs at school, but relationships were kept at a distance. And this is really the way otaku were seen. And it completely cemented into popular culture in 1989 because of the otaku killer. Now, this is a board game podcast, not a true kind podcast. I am not going to go into this, but just know that this killed four young girls and much worse. The reason he was labeled the otaku killer was because much was made by the police and the media about the state of his room, which featured lots of horror films and porn, which were misrepresented to be all manga and anime. So people freaked out because you have this shy person who is obsessed with manga, anime, and horror to the point that, as the story went, he started living in a fantasy land and killed four young girls. So now you've had the perception of otaku change from this subculture that people didn't understand to now one that they feared. We had something similar in the US, the satanic panic, when suddenly certain types of music were called the devil's music and people were being accused of all sorts of weird behavior. Well, after this, you had a literal panic over otakus. It further didn't help that in 1995, you had the Tokyo subway attacks, in which members of the cult Om Shinrikyo committed the largest terrorist attack in Japanese history when they planted poisonous gas on the subway going through the government district, killing 13 and injuring over 1,000 people. Again, not going to go into it much more than that, although this one I would love to because my master's thesis is on cults and Om Shinrikyo is one of them. If you want to talk to me about it, boardgamedojopodcast at gmail.com. But as Japan sat with this attack and tried to figure out what caused this, much of the blame was again pointed at anime and manga. First, Om Shinrikyo just had its own anime, but also there were connections between some of what Om Shinrikyo said or did, especially in connection with their idea of the end of the world being a predominant theme in many animes and mangas when their members were growing up. But mostly, the connections with anime space battleship Yamato were striking. Just as the Earth in Yamato found itself under attack by an unknown alien power, Om claimed that their commune was being attacked with poison gas by an unknown assailant. Although Om usually pointed their fingers at the Japanese state or the US military, or at times, both. Many Om women, including high officials, had long straight hair resembling Stasha, the queen of the planet offering to help Earth in Yamato. Om named the air purifier it developed to protect against poison gas attacks Cosmos Cleaner, after the machine used in Yamato to purify the Earth of radiation. Article after article was printed, linking Om with science fiction anime, casting again this idea that otaku could not differentiate between fantasy and reality. The apocalyptic end of the world that Om Shinrikyo predicted was, to the authors, nothing more than a copy of the anime they had seen. Their belief system might have borrowed from religion, but their predictions were that of otaku who had watched robot and science fiction anime. And you keep hearing this over and over, this idea that anything otaku was a danger. Asahi Shimbun published a story of school bullies who just wanted to try what they had learned in video games. Virtual reality would just make this worse. And you had a similar debate in the US, right? When Doom and Mortal Kombat came out, Congress literally debated it because it was seen as corrupting to kids. But you also had something really interesting happening in the 90s. Really interesting. I mean, really interesting anime. You had masterpieces of the genre coming out, gaining popularity, not only in Japan, but worldwide. 
Not only did you have the momentous undertaking of Akira in 1988, you had Ghost in the Shell, Princess Mononoke, Cowboy Bebop, and what many people consider to be the best anime of all time, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Internationally, you had anime like Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh becoming hits. You even had studios like the one I mentioned earlier, Gainax, releasing self-deprecating and funny anime about otaku. Theirs was called Otaku no Video, and it is said that this is what brought the term to the US lexicon. This was becoming a dissonance to the Japanese government because why is it that at the same time that people are fearing otaku, the number of otaku are going up, and otaku industries are becoming more profitable and getting better at their crafts. As the 90s became the 2000s, you had more and more types of otaku. No longer did you just have the manga and anime and science fiction otaku, the stereotypical guys in the ugly clothing who smell bad. You had J-pop otaku, you had cosplay otaku, Nintendo otaku, you had, and British people will love this one, train otaku, and you even had <gasps> girls who are otaku. What do we do? Well, don't worry, the foreign policy is here to help. Well, kinda. In 2002, Douglas McRae wrote about Japan's interesting soft power success after its lost generation. With characters like Hello Kitty, food like instant ramen, and culture like manga and J-pop idols, Japan could be, dare I say, cool. But Japan needed to figure out what it wanted to say with this, who it wanted to be. Just a brief aside, fact. Cool Japan project was one of the things I was trained on when I came over here and is still trained on today. Okay, back to Otaku. So in the eyes of Japan, they saw this as an opportunity, and they looked at the profits that otaku goods were making. The fact that you had an obsessive fan base willing to spend lots and lots of money on items, and they went, hmm, maybe we should make this bigger. Hey, nothing makes the fear pill easier to swallow than a little bit of capitalism. So they decided to launch a huge campaign, lessening the negative connotations of otaku and strengthening intellectual property laws so content creators felt safer making their characters. And wow, were the 2000s a good time to advertise otaku-ness. In 2003, you had Studio Ghibli's Spirited Away winning Best Animation Film. You had the Japanese pavilion at the Venice Biennale exhibiting a depiction of the inner space of a shop that trades otaku merchandise filled with posters, figurines, gadgets, and a studio home of an otaku. You had talent shops, teams making characters to act as their mascots, and it was working. Nomura Research Institute did a 2004 study that found that otaku culture had become a significantly valuable portion of Japan's GDP, meaning that otaku was something for the economy to value, not fear. Former Prime Minister Taro Aso, who was a bit of an Aso at times, talked about being an otaku himself, and that manga could be a bridge between Japan and foreign countries. One of my favorite things I learned during the research for this was a word that was super popular in the 2000s, that it made the list of top 10 buzzwords, but it's actually not said anymore. It's moe, which was only really said in otaku groups, but meant two different things. For otaku, it was like this attractiveness to anime characters, but then it kind of spread to a more general thing that could mean it's so cute that it makes my heart hurt. But now you only really hear it in maid cafes, like as something that'll make your omelet rice taste better. The maid Michael, moe moe kyun. I had Simachan say that to me. It was very, very funny. It wasn't all positive, don't get me wrong, but the burgeoning of the internet and more advanced communication networks, you had otaku able to communicate with other like-minded individuals. 1999 brings you to the forming of Nichanoru, and the early 2000s were its heyday. In fact, it was when there were rumors of it shutting down that created the Futaba site, also known as Tuchan. 
which is what Christopher Poole based his 4chan off of. And you get later iterations that, let's just say, aren't the best parts of the internet. But this brings up an interesting thing that happened in the 2000s. As good as it was for many otaku, and the number of otaku kept increasing, it also had the opposite effect for many. This counterculture was suddenly the culture. I'm not going to get into it too much here because it starts leading to the 4chan and 8chan stuff, but some parts of otaku became more extreme, even more outrageous to put distance between the kind of normies, quote unquote, and otaku. This was the kind of idea of, oh, if that's cool now, well, there's no way this would ever be cool. But that's kind of a dark hole we aren't going to go down. I just wanted to bring it up here because it does exist and some people credit it for something we are going to talk about a little bit later. We are going to get to where we are today. It is so hard to pin down how many people actually consider themselves otaku, but studies consider there to be at least 26 categories of otaku, but 26 that make a dent in the GDP. Number one is anime, and number two is manga, light novels, kotori, Gundam and plastic models, model figures like anime figures, dolls, model railroads, idols, and wrestling round out the top 10. Board games are number 15, and trading card games are number 16. About 1 in 5 women participate in oshikatsu, which is supporting people in characters, which are called oshi, that you like in various ways. Going to see popular live performances and events, buying goods, going to birthday parties at idol cafes, and making handmade goods are some of these kinds of activities. But the real thing to get from this is that otaku is now really kinda cool. Akihabara is a mecca for otaku, having floors of stores that have anything any otaku can need. I talk about some of the best board game shops being there in our Japan Board Game Buying Guide YouTube video. But you want retro video games? Akihabara. Want to build your own computer? Akihabara. Want to get Gundam? Akihabara. It's gotten so popular that cars are not allowed on the main roads during weekends. Oh, and the tonkatsu there is delicious. It's not related to otaku, but important I thought. Famous people now joyously talk about their otakuness. Marie Kondo, for example, thanks being an otaku for how well she can focus. The sting of being labeled an otaku has mostly dilapidated. Now it's cool. Sure, it can be an accumulation of things, of objects, that's the whole reason Akihabara exists, but can also just be an accumulation of knowledge. An otaku is an expert in something, and often these days, they are said synonymously. Studies will show that the number of otaku has gone down, but I think this is a misleading statistic. First of all, the birth rate has been going down consistently, so there's just less young people. Remember, otaku used to be super negative, so people over 50 do not see otaku as something good or something to admit. In fact, we don't even say the word otaku to them, really. We would use the word fun or mania, like fan and mania, to mean otaku. Oh, I'm a board game fan, for example. But mostly, I think that being an otaku has almost normalized a bit. You can be an otaku if you like soccer. How many people call themselves an otaku for that? Probably not many. They would say they're a fan, but maybe not an otaku, although these days they're pretty much the same thing. Otaku doesn't mean that you are an absolute obsessed person anymore, even though it can be. Otaku really does mean that you have knowledge of something in pop culture or cyber culture and are pretty good at technology. You can see that in the message boards people use. No longer are most otakus using Nichan, they're using Twitter, they're using Discord. One of the reasons you can tell the word changed is that the original preconception of otakus now belongs to some new words, hikikomori and nits. Hikikomori is a form of severe social withdrawal that has been frequently described in Japan and is characterized by adolescents and young adults who become recluses in their parents' homes, unable to work or to go to school for months or years. Nits are similar in that they are neither in education, employment, or training, hence the abbreviation, N-E-E-T, 
neither education, employment, or training. But what's interesting about these, specifically hikikomori, has been that it isn't seen as a counterculture. It's seen as a symptom. Cutthroat academics, bullying that is much too prevalent, and the necessity to blend in are societal problems that people aren't blaming on something like manga. They are blaming it on society as a whole. It's something that has been, albeit very, very slowly, trying to be improved. So are you otaku? Um, probably. You're listening to a board game podcast right now, so I'm going to go with yes for a majority of you. But that's cool now, so hey. And in fact, if you aren't Japanese, your bar for being an otaku is considerably lower. When I moved to Japan, I could just say konnichiwa, and I would get that, wow, your Japanese is so good. Or I could use chopsticks, so they say, wow, your chopstick skills are so good. And it's like, what? Is the bar that low? And this is a joke for people who moved to Japan. But really, they are just being kind. They appreciate that someone who isn't Japanese, for example, is trying to speak Japanese, which they know is a difficult language. Otaku is actually the same way. If a foreigner says they are otaku, the bar is really low because they don't assume you grew up in an otaku culture. People here watch anime growing up, so their baseline knowledge is just higher about things like Crayon Shinchan, Conan, which is called Case Closed Abroad, I think, and even Attack on Titan. The bar here is a lot higher. And I think this is the final reason why some studies say that the number of otaku are going down, even though they aren't. Japanese people are extremely humble and almost always play down their abilities. You'll ask if someone speaks English and they'll say a little and then speak almost fluently. Then you'll ask them why they only said a little and they'll say, well, oh, I'm not native level. The bar they think is high. So they say, oh no, I don't speak that much. Same for otaku. Now the bar for being an otaku is so high that just having passing knowledge or even liking something a lot to some people isn't enough to be an otaku. It'd be like someone owning 40 board games and saying they aren't a board game otaku because a lot of people own 200. Well, no, you could still be an otaku. So feel free to self-identify as an otaku. It's cool now. It's amazing to look back at the history of this seemingly innocuous word and just see how much the connotation has changed. It was weird. Then it was dangerous. It was profitable. And now it's normal. It's encouraged to have a hobby. As younger people start prioritizing work-life balance, it's seen as important to have something at home to look forward to. Maybe it's an anime or a manga like the original otaku, or maybe it's sitting at home throwing on a jersey and watching your favorite team's game. Maybe you like curling up with a good book by yourself, or maybe you enjoy going to board game meetups. These are all otaku. So what does it mean to be an otaku? It just means to have a deep interest in something, being a connoisseur, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new, please give us a review on your podcast app. It's how the algorithm finds listeners. Or just tell your friends. That's cool too. If you learned something, feel free to let us know on Twitter at the BG Dojo or on Instagram at BoardGameDojo. You can also email us at BoardGameDojoPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, keep on keeping on, you otaku. Janne. Janne.